I think there's definitely a very, very limited set of folks who work in content who think about promoting that content through other people's channels. That's very strange to me, right? When I think about content creation, it's basically two things that I think about. One is the audience that I already reach, who's already subscribed to the blog, who's already reading our emails, who's already in SparkToro's social networks, right? They follow us on usually Twitter or LinkedIn, maybe Facebook. I am thinking very much about what do they want to click on? What do they want to read? What do they want to experience? what's helpful to them, what's interesting to them. And then the other people that I'm thinking about very heavily is the sources of influence that reach the rest of my audience. Podcasters who might want to have me on as a guest because I talked about some topic or the events that might want to invite me or the email newsletters that might feature one of my posts or the social accounts that might amplify a tweet or reshare a LinkedIn post, those kinds of things. Those are the two audiences that I think about a lot. And I get concerned that a ton of content marketers put both of those behind, here's a keyword I want to rank for in Google. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Ran Fishkin. So Rand needs a little introduction, formerly founder and CEO of Moz, author of Lost and Founder, and since 2018, he's been running his new startup, SparkToro. He's got to be one of the best people to talk to about content marketing. I'm excited, and I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors podcast, Rand. Thanks for having me, Matt. Pleasure. So for those that don't know you, and I can't imagine there are many, but just in case, I'd love to know what your relationship is with SEO and content marketing. I don't have much of a relationship with SEO, but I definitely do lots of work in the content marketing field and just the broader fields of marketing and market research and audience research. I started a couple of companies. One of them is Moz, which folks may know from the SEO world. And I was CEO and founder there for a long time. I left that company about four years ago and started a new one called SparkToro. And SparkToro is in audience research. It's also a software company, but very tiny, just three of us. And yeah, loving that experience so far. I also wrote a book called Lost and Founder, which is about startup journey and hopefully warning people away from some of the big pitfalls that can hit you in the world of startups. And I do a lot of public speaking and content creation, webinars, writing, all that kind of stuff. And I'm working on a video game with my wife. Yeah, that's pretty much most of my professional life these days. Well, I really enjoyed Lost and Founder, I've got to say. I thought it was just sort of brutally honest. I think a lot of folks use that adjective. I aim to kind of try and tell the whole truth, which I think very few business books do. I thought it was fantastic. So we're obviously here to talk generally about content marketing. And if I think about our audience, which are typically B2B content marketers in the tech space, when it comes to that, the first thing that a lot of them will start with is creating personas. What's your view? I mean, a persona is a waste of time right now. I think it depends what type of persona you're creating and what you're using them for. I find the generic primarily demographics-based reductive stereotypes 
of, oh, here's marketing Matt and here's sales Sally and, you know, here's CEO John. I don't think those are particularly useful. I tend to see them as anachronisms of a time past when people were primarily building their marketing and their content strategy around media and a very small number of media opportunities, right? Mm. You know, in 1975, you had maybe a few dozen places where you would go and do your marketing. And that was TV networks and radio stations. And maybe it was some conferences and events and maybe some industry publications, but the number was very, very small. And so if you nailed a few demographics correctly, you probably were hitting your audience. (laughs) In the world of the internet, I just don't think that model works at all. I think it's almost a little bit silly in its reductiveness. Yeah. And I see sort of HubSpot have come up with a bit of a tool to help you with persona development, which is perhaps moving in the right sort of direction. But if those kind of personas aren't necessarily the best, then how do you think they could be improved? What I love to use, and everyone's mileage may vary, I'm not here to rain on your parade. If you have a persona model that you love and you're using and you think it works great for you and your team, fantastic. Don't let me get in the way. But what works well for me, Matt, is having an idea of all the kinds of audiences that I want to reach and all the kinds that could turn into customers and not having a singular representative avatar of those, Mm. but rather saying, oh, well, I know that about 40% of the customers who sign up for SparkToro are consultants and agencies. And they tend to work in one of these six ways. Some of them are market researchers. Some of them are advertising agencies. Some of them are content and SEO agencies. Some of them are digital strategists. And so we sort of have that breakdown rather than saying, oh, here's agency Addie and she's going to have 2.5 kids and three dogs and lives in suburban United States and goes to Dairy Queen once a week. You know, those kinds of nonsensical representations, I think, don't help me. But if they help you, you go for it. I really like behavioral attributes. So things like, oh, well... Our agency customers tend to subscribe to these email newsletters and they tend to attend these types of conferences and events and they tend to listen to these podcasts and watch these webinars and follow these people on social media, right? So those kinds of behavioral things, they talk about these topics, right? So if I were to go to their social profiles, whatever they use online, I would see that they talk regularly about hiring people in team building, about client retention. I would see that they talk about reporting. I would see that they talk about analytics, whatever the topics might be. I would look at things like the hashtags that they use and follow. They're useful not just because I can get insight into their frame of reference and mind, but because I know language that they understand and use so that I can reflect that language back in the content that I create and the landing pages that I make, how I position a piece of content I'm going to produce or a webinar or an event. I like things that have a direct connection to work that I'm going to do yeah. rather than here's just a human being that I can kind of hold in my mind. (laughs) I think sometimes content marketers think it's something that needs to be done, a persona, and they sort of follow that framework without actually sort of referencing it back to actually what does it mean? And I think you talked about it perfectly there. It's about 
understanding the language that they use at times as well, isn't it? So you can reflect it back, which is spot on. Once that kind of persona work's done then, most marketers will tend to sort of jump into keyword research. And that's sort of typically focused on search volume in Google. But why do you think that can be limiting at times? And what other kinds of keyword research do you think they should do? My marketing mind has opened up a little bit since my previous days at Moz when I was very, very focused on exclusively one acquisition channel search. And that's not to say, look, people are still searching Google more than they ever have before, but three other things are going on. Search behavior has changed dramatically and the expectation that many, if not most searchers have today is that Google will answer their query very, very quickly rather than they will be taken to a website where they can learn more and engage with that website and the publisher is the provider of the information. A lot of people think of Google is where I go to get these answers and Mm. Google has trained them, right? The second thing that's going on is that Google themselves is responsible for this behavior shift and, and playing to it. They're answering more and more queries with no clicks. So you get to Google and you just get your results. As a user of Google, you yourself have found it frustrating when you are like, ah, I guess I have to click. (laughs) And then, you know, my publisher mind goes, oh, this is terrible. Google has trained me so much to want to just get the answer right there and to never have to visit anyone's website. And of course, all those answers, it's not like Google has a team of content creators and sculptors. No, they're just crawling your website, stealing your content, republishing it in a format that is sort of answer friendly to the public and you get no benefit. And that is a very tough trade. So I think it's about one in three searches results in a click these days might be as low as one in four. In some sectors, it's as low as one in 10. Wow. The degree to which you can earn traffic has dropped dramatically. And then the third thing that's going on right now is, whereas when you you and I got started in this field 15 years ago, whatever, There were sectors that were just ripe for the taking because if you started competing in a field with content and did it at all reasonably well search targeted, you could earn tons and tons of traffic from Google. And those days are kind of ending, right? In every single niche of the internet, you know, and the pandemic accelerated this even more. There are hundreds, if not thousands of well-funded competitors So breaking into the top few results where you can get some traffic, it's like pulling teeth. So as a result, when I think about marketing, my mind does not immediately go from here, I've done my customer and audience research, and now I'm going to do keyword research. It goes from I've done my customer and audience research, and now I understand all the channels and tactics I could use to reach those customers. Let me go find the opportunities where my competitors are not already dominating. Let me go find the channels and tactics where I have unique value to add and I can do things that no one else is doing. Let me go find the channels and tactics that work best for me because I'm good at them. And that could be SEO and content. Maybe you found a special niche where very few people are playing. Sure, great, go for it. But maybe it's social media that's more of an opportunity. Maybe it's YouTube that's more of an opportunity. Mm. Maybe it's podcasts or a great email newsletter or doing a series of events or webinars. Maybe it is building your traffic primarily through word of mouth. Maybe you're doing it through old school forums. Maybe Reddit is the place for you. Maybe it's Discord, whatever it could be, right? 
there are thousands and thousands of marketing channels and opportunities. And I'm a little nervous that <laughs> the marketing world, whereas, you know, like 10 years ago, I was like, my God, no one is getting SEO. Yeah. Why can't we get people to invest in SEO? And now it's, oh my God, everyone's investing in SEO and nothing else. What's going on? And I shouldn't say that. It's SEO and ads, right? Those are the yeah. two main ones. Yeah. So really, you should be thinking about your audience and then perhaps actually what your strengths are as a marketeer to decide sort of which channel you should go after as well. You know, I think it's where does my audience participate online? Mm. What do they pay attention to? What influences them? Mm. And that search can be one of those. It's often a little further down the line. Mm. So, you know, very often the trigger event that gets someone thinking about a problem space or about a product that they might eventually buy or something that they're seeking a solution to is not search, but rather content of some kind. It could be an experience in the real world. It could be a digital experience. It could be something that they pay attention to. It could be an email. It could be something in their social media feed. But it's often not just search. Search is something that happens after they have the need. Yeah. And how would you generally go about deciding, okay, you've kind of understand your audience, you understand where they're hanging out then. How would you generally go about deciding what sort of content you should be producing, whether it be all those avenues that you talked about? And there are so many options these days, aren't there? I like focusing on what's going to be successful with the channel. And what's going to be successful with the audience. Okay. For example, if I find that YouTube is one of the big channels that I want to participate in and I want to create content for YouTube that's going to do well there, I'm going to be thinking about that very differently from native video on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. And those are going to be very different from the kinds of content I would do versus something like participating in forums, you know, Reddit, Quora, long tail of forums in an industry, mm. you know, a Discord, those kinds of things. And that would be extremely different from what I was thinking about if I were doing primarily B2B types of sales through content on LinkedIn and Twitter. Mm. All of those are, it's about the audience and about the channel. I want to know what does Twitter reward. I want to know what resonates with people on Twitter or versus what works really well on YouTube and how do I get people subscribing to my channel and amplifying my work and commenting and engaging and finding my videos. Those channel-specific things are half of the equation and the other half is what resonates with my audience. How many people do I really need to reach? Who do they need to be? And how do I reach them? What do they pay attention to? What do they resonate with? Who's amplifying things to them? And how do I make sure that I'm in front of those sources of amplification? That sounds great. And you touch on the sort of channels there. I mean, social channels in the B2B tech sector for our audience is a key play then. When you're talking about a piece of content then, how would you sort of optimize that content for, for those social channels like Twitter, LinkedIn, perhaps YouTube, those sort of ones? Some of the big things that are working right now really well are data-driven, interactive elements. So a graph or a chart where you can choose different vectors and select them, and you can modify things based on a region or a free tool, right? SparkToro's done a few free tools. Free tools work very, very well in the B2B space. 
especially if you don't ask for a capture. Sometimes a white paper or a report, if it really hits the right niche and serves exactly what that person has been seeking, you can do an email capture and get people to pay attention to it. I find that things that are driven by data, so that could be passively collected data or it could be aggregated data from third-party sources. It could be a survey that you run. Those types of things tend to work really, really well. Studies and research reports, those work pretty well in B2B on LinkedIn, Twitter. And then I think a lot of it is about the title of the piece. Mm. So if you can position it in such a way that it feels not necessarily salacious, but takes a strong perspective, has a lead in that arouses curiosity and provokes an emotional response One of the tactics that works extremely well in getting amplification on Twitter and LinkedIn is taking a position or proving someone's point in a way that lots of people in that sector have already expressed an opinion about it. And now your data backs up their opinion. Yeah. For example, something like, oh, it turns out that in the investment world, we looked at a bunch of scenarios where you spread $100,000 across a bunch of different types of investments in the last 10 years. And the most successful portfolio is not crypto and (laughs) NFTs. It turns out it's XYZ. And there's lots of people who are skeptical of those other ones. And they'd be like, aha, look at that. Here's the data. Now I can prove it to my crazy uncle who thinks that (laughs) he should put all his money into Dogecoin or whatever it is, right? Cool. Now, one of the things I was keen to talk to you about is I was reading the Smart Toro blog, and I think you did an experiment or you were using TikTok. And from a B2B perspective, is TikTok just bullshit? Uh, let's see. I will share our experiences with TikTok, which is we have not done much ourselves on that platform. I think we played around with it and experimented a little bit, but generally found that the audience is not a good match for us. However, We've now had, I think, two or three times where someone in the marketing world, so they sort of position themselves as being an internet marketer on TikTok, and they have a wide range of followers, so thousands or tens of thousands. A few of those people have posted videos showing how to use SparkToro. And it's pretty cool. You know, the jump cuts look good and, you know, the person is very expressive and attractive and they're sort of like very emotionally into showing off the results of doing a SparkToro search and being like, wow, you know, this is mind blowing. You can supercharge your marketing, whatever. And there was one of those in particular, I want to say it was September or October of this year. For whatever reason, TikTok's algorithm is much less based on how many followers you have. And it's a little bit more like Facebook, where they'll show you a lot of stuff that you're not following. Yeah. So it just, for whatever reason, popped, got something like 1.1 million views. This video did from a young woman marketer. And hey, that's great, right? Tons of people seeing SparkToro. We love it. It drove tens of thousands of folks to SparkToro's website. Many of them signed up for a free account and ran a search. We got almost no signups from that. I think one or two. So basically the lowest conversion rate of any traffic driving channel we've ever seen. And a very, very high rate of maybe what I'd call abusive types of accounts. You know, people would set up an account and it'd be like, 
fusparktoro at gmail.com was their email address. And the searches that they ran, it looked like they didn't really know how to use the product or why they were using the product. My guess is many of them were attempting to market their own TikTok accounts. So their goal was essentially get more followers on TikTok. SparkToro doesn't have coverage of TikTok. You know, we got a lot of I don't know, weird spam and hate mail and just low quality traffic and signups. Does that mean all business activity on TikTok is low quality? No, not necessarily. Are we going to go invest heavily in TikTok's a channel? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've had success there. We might have success there again, but success on TikTok does not equate to marketers with a budget and a credit card who work at agencies who work in-house at real firms that have budget for software like what we offer, who are doing real audience research for cross-channel understanding of their customer. That does not appear to be the TikTok marketer. So... Yeah, we don't hear much about it, to be honest. So we hear people talking about it. People are curious about it. People perhaps want to know how to use it, but we don't really hear of many people actually using it. So in terms of the sort of marketing aspect of content, most marketers think, okay, well, you know, I'm going to pay for some ads across social for the sort of short-term play, and then kind of dovetail that with sort of SEO for the longer term. Why is that potentially the wrong thing to be thinking about? So I think this creates risk on both of those vectors, right? So on the ad side, you have great risk because your marketing is tied up in pay to play, meaning it's very difficult to reduce your spend and see equal or higher growth in those paid channels. Almost certainly what will happen is the opposite. Over time, more people will enter your space. There'll be more competition for those eyeballs. Your ads will tend to get more expensive over time per conversion, right? So the cost to acquire new customers is almost always going up. You can bring that down a little bit by growing your brand and by becoming more of a market leader and you know having a higher click-through rate, engagement rate on your ads, those kinds of things. You can do things to optimize your ad budget by reducing where your ads are seen to just those places that are most helpful. But it's a little bit of a tough road. And then on the SEO side, somewhat similar, right? Essentially, SEO is very competitive. More and more people will tend to come in. If Google ever decides to start taking you know, a big share of your sector for themselves, that can be really hard. Tons and tons of folks, for example, who did amazing work in the job sector, Mm. targeting keywords around education jobs or jobs in healthcare or whatever it is. And then Google was like, hey, we should get into jobs. (laughs) And now they're always at the top, right? Or historically at Moz, right? I did this Whiteboard Friday video series. And Mm. it used to be that we could show up right in Google's results with the video. And then you click to Moz and you get to the video on Moz's website. And then Google was like, whoa, 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 why are we sending video traffic to anyone but YouTube? That's dumb. (laughs) All video traffic goes to YouTube, right? And so now if you want to play in Google's video results, you really have to be on YouTube. And that creates frustration too. So I see these as risks to be mitigated. I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in those channels, but I'm saying you probably want to also invest in channels that are owned and controlled by you. So that would be things like an email newsletter, 
obviously your website, a subscription to it, that kind of stuff. You probably want to have social channels that you own and control as well as participate in so that as people are kind of referring to you in the social worlds that we all use now, they can find you there. Mm. And you probably want to be present in the other sources of influence in your space, whatever those might be. It could very well be the case that there are popular podcasts in your field or popular YouTube channels or popular conferences and events or popular webinar series or popular email newsletter or a bunch of popular websites, a bunch of influential social accounts that people follow. And you probably want to be included and promoted by those folks. Yeah. Well, we hear always about the new algorithm changes from Google, don't we? So, you know, relying on that kind of stuff is precarious at times. From your perspective, then, what do you think most content marketing strategies miss then? I think there's definitely a very, very limited set of folks who work in content who think about promoting that content through other people's channels. That's very strange to me, right? When I think about content creation, Mm. it's basically two things that I think about. One is the audience that I already reach, who's already subscribed to the blog, who's already reading our emails, who's already in SparkToro's social networks, right? They follow us on usually Twitter or LinkedIn, maybe Facebook. I am thinking very much about what do they want to click on? What do they want to read? What do they want to experience? what's helpful to them, what's interesting to them. And then the other people that I'm thinking about very heavily is the sources of influence that reach the rest of my audience. Mm. Podcasters who might want to have me on as a guest because I talked about some topic or the events that might want to invite me or the email newsletters that might feature one of my posts or the social accounts that might amplify a tweet or reshare a LinkedIn post, those kinds of things. Mm. Those are the two audiences that I think about a lot. And I get concerned that a ton of content marketers put both of those behind, here's a keyword I want to rank for in Google. Yeah, I'm not saying that ranking for keyword in Google is a bad thing, but I will tell you, this is a weird thing to say, Matt, especially as the founder of Moz, right? And someone who built a very productive SEO and content engine at Moz. Mm. But I get almost no search traffic to SparkToro's website. Wow. Like literally, if you look at our Google report every month, if you remove the top three search terms, which are all basically our brand, it's like SparkToro or SparkToro Search or SparkToro Tools or whatever it is, mm. you take away those few searches and we get literally like less than 500 visits a month from Google. Just an incredibly tiny amount. And yet, SparkToro in its first 18 months as a software product mm. grew faster than Moz did in its first 18 months. Wow. What's your biggest challenge then from an acquisition point of view? It is definitely email. Mm. We get a ton of people who basically come to SparkToro, run free searches, sign up for an email account, and then get kind of our onboarding messaging. And they come back and they do more searches. And many of them sign up for a paid account when they need it, that kind of thing. The sources of overall traffic, it's social, direct and type in, branded search, and then other people's websites Mm. and email newsletters and conversations. But those sources of influence that are not just Google, that's really what's driven it. It's been quite remarkable to see how you can build a marketing engine that is not purely content and SEO. It's very much a, hey, here's a free tool. 
and there's word of mouth, and then there's kind of social amplification, and there's sources of influence amplification. We're very present in all the places where people pay attention, where marketers pay attention, Mm. rather than just waiting for someone to go to Google and search for audience research, which by the way, there's almost no search volume for audience research. Well, I think a lot of marketeers would be quite jealous of you around not having to spend money on paid ads. Hats off to you. If we're sort of thinking about a content marketer or somebody who's responsible for content marketing in a small business then, what sort of metrics would you suggest to them to track then in order to demonstrate to the people they're working for that content is having an impact on the business? (laughs) The correct answer to all marketing questions is it depends. And this is no different. But, you know, for example, if your business is a small business that is retail walk-in storefront, your metrics are going to be extraordinarily different than if you are web-based e-commerce. And that's going to be extraordinarily different than if you are web-based B2B software subscription. Mm. And that's going to be very different if you're self-service B2B SaaS. And it's going to be very different if you're enterprise B2B, right? So like every one of these is different. And even two enterprise B2Bs are going to be extraordinarily different because one might have a very content gate centric get into their flow while another one is lead capture on the homepage while another one is outreach focused and they're doing outbound one-to-one sales. Mm. Super, super different in all of these places. I think the metrics that matter the most are the ones that you can tie to business goals, Yeah. right? So business goal is we want to grow our brand awareness among this particular audience, right? People with this mm. word in their job title or who do this kind of job. Okay. If that's our brand goal, one of the big metrics that we're going to be looking at is awareness among that audience over time. And so we're going to run a third-party market research survey of people with that job title every two years, and we're going to see what percent say they know who we are, Mm. right? And can correctly identify our brand. We are going on that metric. And then we've got to tie marketing goals to that. So we're going to say, hey, social posts that reach that audience, we're looking at raw impressions. Mm. Raw impressions actually matter to us, even though for a lot of businesses, they don't care about impression counts you might care about that a ton. You would go to your LinkedIn posts and you'd look at, okay, who did my LinkedIn post reach? And was it people with a job? It was, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Screenshot that, put that in my weekly reports, right? That is going straight to management. Mm. That's of course, extremely different than if your goal is B2C e-commerce focused and you're focused on sales and people adding things to a cart and getting through your website and converting totally different, in which case you're probably looking mostly at, hey, did people reach the product pages? What percent of visits driven by any channel reached a product page? And what percent of people did we get on their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth visit to go to a product page and add it to a cart and that kind of thing? Great stuff. And how do you sort of measure the success of your blog then at SparkToro? Because a lot of it seems to be certainly not chasing keywords. A lot of it seems to be more sort of thought leadership and your thoughts, really. How do you sort of assess the success of that from a marketing to the goals of the business and perspective? Biggest one for us is email signups. Fine. The blog is certainly designed to get people to know about SparkToro, right? The brand and to have an association with it. But primarily my goal is I want people to read that blog and say, this is good stuff. 
I like that Rand only publishes once every week or a couple of weeks, even as rarely as once a month. But every time there's something published on SparkToro, I'm pretty interested in it. So I need to sign up. I want to subscribe to the SparkToro blog. And so blog subscriptions, email subscriptions, that is the biggest metric by far. And it's my sort of belief, and I think this can be borne out in data over years and not months, but is that that blog subscription will tie to our other business goals, which are essentially people using the product successfully, understanding what it's for. What I want is when people have the problem that your business solves, Mm. they think of you first. Mm. And slowly but surely, right over the last couple of years, that's starting to be the case with SparkToro. When people hear audience research problem. I want to understand, you know, what words and phrases my customers are using online, not what they're searching for, but what they're using in their public posts online. Or I want to know what hashtags they're following and paying attention to. I want to know which webinars and which podcasts and which YouTube channels they're subscribing to. Slowly, a number of folks in the marketing world are like, SparkToro does that. Yeah. And that's the goal. Long term, when you think of the problem, oh, I need to reach my audience. How do I find out what they pay attention to? I want the answer in their head to be SparkToro. Mm. That's much less of a, you know, how do I get traffic to go up or conversion rate or those kinds of things and much more of a positioning, branding, thought leadership play. Yeah. And ultimately you own that list, which is the point you made earlier. What tools would you suggest people can use then to help with a lot of what we've talked about today, Rand? On the customer and audience research side, I kind of like a multi-prong approach. I do really like surveys and interviews. I realize an interview is a weird tool, but it's a great tool, right? You have conversations with customers and potential customers and people who are not customers and probably never will be, but they're influential in your space. They reach the customers that you want to reach and you build relationships there. And then you have conversations with them about, hey, what got you into this? And like, what are sort of trigger points for you in terms of trying to solve a problem? Or how do you as an influential person or someone who writes for an influential publication, how do you think about covering the space and what are topics that are interesting to you right now? And so you're trying to understand the mentality and the problem solving nature and the journey of those folks in those various spheres. Mm. You probably want to do some surveys at scale too. So I want to understand my audience a few thousand or a few hundred, depending on the size, and get data like what's their job title and role and how long have they been at their company and where are they spending their budget in whatever sector and what are they struggling with and what are some top of mind publications for them, those sorts of things. And you get that in survey data format and you answer those business and marketing tactical questions through that data. And then there's passively collected data from social and web sources, which is what SparkToro does, or something like Clickstream data, which is what SimilarWeb does. Mm. If you're looking for the kinds of data that SparkToro does at like a very enterprise level, you could go to BrandWatch, right, which has very, very expensive, but very high quality data, similar to what you get from SparkToro. And then SparkToro itself is kind of like the every person's tool. Yeah. Obviously, it's free to try, and then you know the subscriptions are relatively cheap, and you know lots of marketers kind of use it one-off, like they'll subscribe for a month or two or three, 
and then they'll cancel. They'll come back in a year when they need to do the research again. Similar web is awesome. The free version of similar web is just killer to see like, okay, I know my audience visits this website. Yeah. What other websites are visited by people who visit this website? What's the general traffic trend? Where are they getting traffic from? What sort of sources are sending people to? That stuff's beautiful too. Perfect. And lastly, Rand, I mean, apart from yourself then, who should content marketers or anybody who wants to be better at content marketing be following in this space? Who's been impressing you? So many people. <laughs> I think I did some call outs yesterday on this front, actually. A few go-tos, but I think extraordinarily highly of Amanda Natividad, who obviously we hired at SparkToro just this year. Yeah. I also have been super impressed in the SaaS space with Asia Matos. If you don't already follow her, I am very impressed with Caitlin Burgoyne. She is extraordinary. Michelle Garrett. Just depends on which space you're in. So I am very picky um, about who I follow. <laughs> if you go to my Twitter account, which is at Randfish, and you click on following, I only follow like 100 people, and that list is very curated. So that could be a starting point. If you want to see who I think is, is great in this field. <laughs> well, Rand, I'd like to say a huge thank you for giving up your time to be here today. For anybody who's listening, I would highly recommend going to the Spark Toro blog because there's loads of fantastic stuff that you can learn from from there. So thanks for sharing that as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Really appreciate it. No worries. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time. <laughs>